0: Captain's log, clearly Dr. Crusher just doesn't enjoy my company anymore. We've never needed a crew before. Welcome to Reengage, where we watch every episode of the sci-fi series Star Trek The Next Generation and re-engage with the show from the perspective of adult storytellers instead of the late Gen X to early millennial children we were when it first aired. Today we're talking about the fifth episode of season four, Remember Me. And I'm so excited to welcome my fellow Cultural Bridge officers to discuss the prospect of losing one's memory in a warp bubble created by your child. We have a very special guest to talk through this Beverly Crusher episode, and we'll introduce her in a moment. But I first wanted to say hi to you, Commander Kate Yeager. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing really well. I'm excited to talk about this episode. I had, uh, ironically, no memory of this episode. (laughs) It had
0: been wiped away.
1: Yes. So uh, I was excited to watch it and excited to talk about it.
0: Sweet. Hey, Jimmy. How are you doing? Uh,
2: I am doing fantastic. Uh, I also am excited to talk about this. I'm very glad that we actually don't live in a universe without uh, Warf.
0: That would be so sad. Uh, Sadly, Eric Curry couldn't make it to this particular recording. He's off gallivanting around the world uh, as a different cultural bridge officer, Officer Krupke. Uh, But I'd love to introduce our very special guest, Danielle Beckman. Hey, Danielle. Hello,
3: everyone. Thanks for babying me aboard.
0: You are here. Uh, You are an actor, a producer, a storyteller, and I have had so much fun working with you over the last year on our short film, which you also star in, Ex-Husband.
3: Yes, I know. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks, guys, for having me. I can, you know nerd out about many things but Star Trek I think is my favorite.
0: What was your connection to the Star Trek franchise? Like when did you first get beamed aboard?
3: Sure, yes. Well, okay, so so full disclosure, I was born in 1986 and TNG premiered in 87. Um, but I will say so I wasn't coherent, let's say for those first 3 <laughs> years, but By the time I got to be around four years old, I started to catch on because my dad uh, was hooked from the beginning. So I would hear the familiar, amazing opening credits kind of wafting through our home. And I lived in San Diego at the time. And so it was on Channel 13, 8 p.m. every Sunday night. Nice. And I vividly remember this. Um, And I remember the first time when I was about four or five years old, I heard the music and I put it together that, oh, this is the show my dad likes. You know, maybe I can get on board with this. And I ran in. I vividly remember this. I ran into the living room, jumped on the couch and I looked and the credits were on and I went, oh no, is it over? Like I thought I'd missed the episode, right? So genuinely. And I turned to my dad and he, he cracks up and he goes, no, honey, it just started. And so I was like, yay. So we sat there. Cue next, the next week, the following week, I hear the music. I run and I go, Dad, is it over? Like, really, you know, cute and corny. That's been our tradition now. So every Star Trek movie we go to see together, every time the credits roll in the beginning, I turn to him and I say,
0: (gasps) is it over? Oh, that's really I cute. Know.
3: It's very touching.
0: Oh, that's amazing. And I had the pleasure of being in a sa- being in the same scene in the boardroom uh, of our film next to uh, uh, Mr. Beckman, yes. whose name is Greg.
3: Yes, we got Greg times two. So yeah, yeah. he was the thespian once upon a time. So he got to be a background actor in our film. That was super awesome. Yeah. So my my love of Trek comes from him, and then I also have a long saga with Kate Mulgrew in New York City. Our lives have intertwined multiple times. Should that come up later on this podcast? Great. If not, we can save it.
0: (laughs) Wow. That seems like a a great pitch to get when we start doing Voyager and... 15 years or whenever <laughs> oh perfect <laughs> can't wait can't wait yeah yeah it's gonna be exciting yeah i know wow. we're not
3: talking voyager today but just had to throw that in
0: that's pretty great no i know actually our our uh guest for the first episode of this season talked about kate mulgrew and how that was an inspiration for her to finish her phd
3: oh my gosh i love you can't that let,
0: you can't let down captain janeway
3: oh no you got to see it all the way through yeah i have some really interesting connections across multiple of the star trek franchises with like some peppered in actors here or there it's i feel very very nerdy and excited about that so (laughs) but wait that's awesome is it over no okay we're (laughs) done
0: we're We're just starting okay great this is episode five of season four it is called remember me i keep singing it because i'm thinking of coco (laughs) yes there you go it was written by lee sheldon uh and directed by cliff bowl uh we've Heard the name cliff bowl a lot he has been a veteran in directing so many of these amazing star trek episodes it is started 44161.2 but when it first aired it was october 22nd 1990 and i am going to tell you about some of the things that were happening during that time two days before this aired on october 20th it was the end of the world series the cincinnati reds beat the oakland a's they swept uh, the Oakland A's, so uh, the a, I, in a previous episode we talked about how the A's swept my Red Sox, and then they m- themselves got swept in the World Series, so that felt good for me. Usually it's Eric who uh, chimes in on the baseball stuff, but you know, feel free, Danielle, if you have any memories of that.
3: Padres fan, through and through, yeah.
0: Yeah, so you were not, not as happy for the Reds to win their fifth title. No. Um, on October 25th, two, three days after this aired, Evander Holyfield Knocked out Buster Douglas in three rounds to get the heavyweight boxing title.
3: Oh, wow. The iconic uh, boxing uh, match of October <laughs> 1990. <laughs> yes. I remember
0: yes. it well. <laughs> I was, um, and then, of course, the long uh, overarching story of what's going on in these early months of the fourth season was uh, Iraq invading Kuwait. A couple of updates on that here. Um, on October 20th, there were a lot of anti-war protest marches here in the United States against the potential for war. Um, I don't remember that part of it so much, but I, do, did, I, I looked into um, those protests that were on uh, October 20th, and the largest one was in New York City, where there might have been up to 15,000 participating. The police said there was only about 4,000, and they marched um, down Broadway to Times Square, chanting, "Hell no, we won't go. We won't fight for Texaco," which I thought was a really good slogan. It's a nice rhyme.
1: My parents took me to that uh, protest, not the New York one, no but shit. one in, in San Diego, Ooh. and I remember that chant like that was that was big. And I uh, helped lead a protest a few a while later, but I helped lead a walkout in my school against um the war because we were afraid uh of the draft coming back and we were just I, which i know is ridiculous but you know uh we just thought it was an unjust war so yeah my little that's rebellious amazing. self yeah
0: that's that's great yeah i that's weird i don't know maybe i was just in the the weird work bubble of i don't know my reagan household maybe
1: you were in the pocket of big oil is i was what you're saying greg
0: <laughs> i think i was honestly <laughs> It's so weird looking back how much um, uh, that was just felt like what was out there because I, I came from my parents right of that like somewhat conservative bending that they were doing as as being Catholics but now I'm like yeah of course there would have. like there was no reason for us to do what we did there uh, other than oil it was all about the oil and I was down Crazy. in San
3: Diego too Kate is that where you're nice. from yeah me too that's
1: awesome yeah
3: I wasn't protesting when I was like you know four years old but that's <laughs> right. really that's really cool though that's awesome yeah
2: this was the kuwait war though right not yes. this isn't when we took out saddam so this was a very different not 2003 reason for being there one was they occupied an allied nation of ours <laughs> right True. Very, very different than when we went in uh, under false pretenses 12 years later under uh, his
0: sons. Sure. I think the idea was that it was still under false pretenses. But then uh, on October 23rd, Iraq released 330 French hostages to maybe try to defuse some of that that was going on. It was very hard. I think they had actually swarmed the French embassy in uh, Baghdad. And so this was the aftermath of that. And it led to, to more of the coalition against uh, Iraq during that time. Uh, I think we wanted it to be for good things, but maybe in hindsight, it actually wasn't. Mm. Speaking of which, uh, uh, I'm trying to make this transition into all of the pop culture that was going on. Uh, but I know I think you might mention one thing about the frontier of America uh, in the mid 19th century. A little movie came out during this time.
1: Oh, I no, I don't know what you're talking about, but that's very exciting. Uh, the movie that I know that came out during this time, uh, well, March for Death continued to be number one on the charts. A little movie called Troll 2 came out mm. about a week before this <laughs> That's the one I was thinking of. And that is one of my favorite movies ever. If you've never seen it, uh, I highly recommend it. It's one of those can this actually be happening kind of movies <laughs> was not even meant to be uh, Troll 2. It was about goblins at first, and then they took the relative success of Troll 1 and renamed this goblin movie Troll 2. It's That's fantastic. hilarious. Uh, what movie were you thinking of, Greg?
0: Dances with Wolves, I just happened <gasps> to see as I was doing research. I was like, oh, that premiered on, on October 19th.
1: Oh, on October 19th. I, I missed that one because I was so excited.
0: How about Control 2. <laughs> that's valid thank you
3: uh
1: on the music front the number one hit was i don't have the heart by james ingram i don't have the heart to hurt you etc 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 and on tv the very first treehouse of horror episode aired on the simpsons wow. which i don't know why but that like i i got really excited by that like that's just an iconic moment um considering they've had now you know 30 treehouses of horror however many
0: that's amazing it's cool yeah, yeah. quotes of awesome. raven Nevermore.
1: yeah 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 i think that's that first one
0: it was right it was like uh iconic i uh yeah Quoted it a lot. Still do. In the <laughs> back of my head. Excellent. Uh, Jimmy, what can you tell us about what was happening behind the scenes on this episode? Yeah,
2: there, a lot of fun stuff in this one. In this episode, we find out that Beverly uh was interning after Wesley was born. Gives a little bit of uh context of where her career began. McFadden does all her own stunts in this one for the uh for that. That, that scene where she gets sucked through the wow. vortex. Um, and they did that by uh, putting the chair, uh, uh, attaching it to the wall, and then using air compressors to animate the vortex effects. And it was a few days after she shot the scene, she learned that she was pregnant. <laughs>
1: Wow! Oh my!
2: One of the coolest things is this this episode began as a subplot for the family episode, which we have already talked about. Um, It was decided that it didn't quite fit in there um, and so they scrapped it from family and developed it entirely uh, for its own bottle episode, which we see here. Um, And related into that, the Traveler was not a part of the first two drafts. In Mm. fact, uh, the first draft, this whole thing was a dream sequence. And as we've talked mm-hmm. about before and Eric and I have talked about on the Lazy Muse podcast, I absolutely loathe the dream sequence because it's amounts to the day nothing special happened.
3: It's it's kind of, it can be lazy sometimes. I hear you.
2: Yeah. Uh, so they scrapped that. They didn't think it was very satisfying that it ended that way. Um, and at the last moment they decided that they would uh, bring in the traveler and they actually compressed most of the episode, they they had it spread out so that we didn't know really was happening with Beverly, if she was going crazy or not until the very end. They compressed that so that we kind of knew that she she didn't know she wasn't crazy, but we did. Um, and so the the SEC, Act 2 and 3, uh, became about how do we get her out of the warp bubble, mm. not where is she and she didn't know, which I thought was a great choice um, because it, it played off and we'll talk about that better. Uh, but... <laughs> funny cliff uh he's quoted as saying the only reason the traveler was in there is because he was popular at conventions wow and it was just a walk-on role i don't know if you might notice or or you might think the starbase was familiar uh if you had a keen eye uh you are right it's actually starbase 74 from episode one of my favorites 11001001. 11001001. Uh, and they repurposed it for Starbase 133. Uh, in this one, uh, and this episode has some nice name dropping, uh, which plays into the continuity that we've seen, uh, particularly in season four over the last few episodes. So, we get Cochran dropped in this episode, uh, and it's used as um, a measurement of subspace field stress. We get uh, Kaczynski. Dropped in here. And if you remember, Kaczynski is the actual traveling companion of the Traveler when we first met him. Mm. Um, And it was his theory about the warp bubble. So he comes back up and we hear Dr. Salar's name, who is the Vulcan doctor um, that we have only seen once, but is supposedly always there. (laughs) Just on different shifts, you know. She's like probably the next head doctor. So she and Beverly never really intersect on shifts. Um, And uh, that's it for the Nemesic Files. Well, I thought
0: Dr. Crusher didn't have any staff. (gasps) Anyway, we will get back to that as we jump into the episode itself. It starts with... A chief medical officer log, which I super enjoyed, uh, you know, kind of telegraphing right away that this is going to be a Dr. Beverly Crusher episode, uh, which is great. And she introduces the fact that she's got uh, a friend of hers, Dr. Dalen Quace, who will be joining. And uh, he's a lovable old man. And uh, you get some nice little back and forth with O'Brien. It's just noticeable enough in this cold open that you're like, they're going to call that back somehow, aren't they?
3: Yeah, with, with his comment as she's leaving. Yeah.
0: And I
2: thought she was a little too touchy with her colleague. Like, I, I understand the big hug, oh, when but she's, like, hugged. rubbing his shoulders and, like, petting his arm as they go. Uh, it, it did seem very professional to me.
1: But at this point, they're not colleagues anymore. They're just old friends. Yeah, she
3: said old friends for a few times. Maybe that was... She See, did. Whenever there's that kind of thing that you're bringing up, Jimmy, I always wonder, was that a directorial choice? Or did the actors ask, you know, can I do this? Like, I I, I always right. wonder, yeah.
0: What do you think? Do you think uh, Gates McFadden chose to do that? I think... I would vote that way. Yeah,
1: I think so. How could you not want to just pet that lovely old man?
0: <laughs> it definitely felt like this was like a you know a, a paternal.
3: Yeah, mentor, of... paternal vibe. Sure, yeah.
0: Yeah, so the familiarity didn't didn't I didn't see it was odd uh, there. So you're just weird, Jimmy. I think is what that.
2: <laughs> no, you hate I'm touching. Just a man it, of the times. It was it's Inappropriate. It was flagged. It was flagged.
0: <laughs> They'd be canceled now if you did that. <laughs> but they were walking and talking uh, down this hallway. Uh, I thought that actually the sound mix was a little off. I was a little bit like, I can't I can't hear them when they were far away. Did anyone else notice that or was that just me?
3: <laughs> no, I was... Might have been your TV. Yeah, I was more TV. focused on how uh, awkward they were both standing. Like, like you know, because on film as a medium... You're not used to really seeing someone's whole body from, like, the knee up for longer than four seconds. And so their body language was like, so now where do I put my hand?
2: Another petty criticism (laughs) (laughs) from Jimmy. Uh, When they stop in the middle of the hallway, it's like, that's weird. Nobody just stops Yeah. While you're walking somewhere. And then Tia was like, why are these hallways so small? You're walking in the middle of a hallway. That person had to like hug the wall to get past you. Walk to your right. So that the 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 other person walks in the the way and you can pass in the night.
1: Jimmy, you have never tried to walk anywhere with my in-laws. They stop in the middle of sidewalks and aisles and hallways. Always. It's
2: a thing. It's a thing. Well, and just – and then going back to, like, the actual story, to be serious, we never see the person that walks past her, Bev, and Dr. Quace, and that's somebody, like, immediately you should have been looking for that person because they saw Dr. Quace. Mm. Um, And it never even occurs to her to go find that person and say, hey, you walk past me and this old man.
3: Well, and they were in yellow, that?" that person, and so that means they were in engineering, so they could have been there, Yeah. Yeah, right. But by that time, probably people were already disappearing. It was too late.
2: Oh, that's true. Yeah. That's true right. Right? Yeah. Um, one little costume thing, and I didn't notice this, but it was in um, on Memory Alpha. I guess there was some pretty stark differences in the blues for the medical officers, or for the science officers. And this is one of the ones that I guess is very pronounced, where you can see there's a difference between Quace you could in the original episode between Quace and McFadden, but in the Blu ray um, re reprinting or when they updated it, uh, they fixed those somehow in post so that the blues were almost indistinguishable. But they went through a few sentences of how it went from light green almost in the blue hue to them being similar to each other.
3: Yeah, it's mm-hmm. like an aqua almost in some. Totally. Yeah, in some color passes. <laughs> Not sure <laughs> it's the continuity. Oh, is that the
2: term? I don't. I don't come to this knowing the terms,
3: Corky. <laughs> Just color correction, you know.
0: So they're they're talking about some terrible, uh, uh, well, not necessarily terrible, but like things that have happened to uh, Doctor Quace's uh, partner uh, passing away, and then of course uh, Doctor Crusher, you know, says I didn't have that exact experience. We only had a few years with with Jack before he passed. Mortality is on. Dr. Crusher's mind, which is why she wants to go to visit her son and make sure he's doing okay. So they go to engineering and I will say Wesley is looking quite dashing. Uh, I don't know if it's his hair is done a little bit like, you know, better. Well, I don't know. What did you think, Kate?
1: Uh, I'm surprised that I didn't remember this episode Specifically because it's so Wesley centric. Uh, you know, that would have been my jam back then. Mm. Uh, and yes, he's turning into a very handsome young man uh, during this scene, and especially holding up in the face of S- Jordy being kind of a jerk in this yeah. scene. Oh, yeah. He's- Not just kind of, like, what has crawled up his butt and died uh, during this scene? He
2: comes in hot, right? Like, immediately, and I don't know if the director was like, listen, I need a moment before. Something happened Offset, we didn't see, and you are pissed. Yeah. And I need to feel that immediately, because he came in at level 10.
3: I know. Mm. I paused the episode, and I had to tell my husband I was like "Jeez, LaForge <laughs> <laughs> like what is happening yeah I think and that's one of those questions was that the directorial choice like see these are things that I wonder
0: I think so too i think the director also told them to stand in the middle of the hallway we'll just blame everything on cliff <laughs> yeah <I think. laughs> it's bull yeah. it's all bull and wesley crusher or, or, i would rather say will wheaton has said that cliff Bull was not one of his favorite directors like he would like pull him around and just put him in his place uh. where he needed to be rather than communicating to a fellow actor interesting but i got the impression from this that it was just that wesley was playing doing his homework with the theory and like Jordy was like, all right, clean it up. It's been three days. Like you had time. This You shouldn't have waited until now to do this experiment. What if the, what if the captain needs me to say go? He's going to say engage. And I got nowhere to engage with. That's what I figured yeah. he was going for. It. <laughs>
2: right. But that's, I mean, that's where it comes into breaking down the acting choices and directing choices is that's a great idea. But we have to see that as an audience, because what we've learned of Jordy up until this is that that's not him. He doesn't just start barking at people. And if he does, that's an interesting choice, but we need to know how he got there. It can't just be, this episode, you are going to be angry, Jordy.
1: Yeah. I I actually thought, because I couldn't remember the episode, that maybe it was one of those, oh, no, something is already on board the ship making people angry. (laughs) Like there's another entity that is just, oh, shit, not again.
2: No,
0: and yeah. I think he's still mad at, at uh, uh, Wesley calling him out on not being able to date <laughs> women effectively from the previous season.
3: Oh, I listened, I I just... listened to that episode of this podcast on that. Actually. Yeah, they got heated, yeah. even though they
0: were it was all because of Sarek. you know I,
3: I don't know.
0: I think maybe it was, there was some they, they have not yet had that debrief.
3: <laughs> See, I mean, we could talk about this scene for the next hour. <laughs> <laughs> the You
0: will. But anyway, the what Wesley's working on is, in fact, the Kaczynski uh, equation that was posited in all the way in uh, season one, episode five, the fifth episode of this entire series, uh, which was uh, playing very well in the convention circuit. apparently. <laughs> 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 um, but he was doing that experiment and there's a flash. Oh, I don't know what happens. Wait, mom, where are you? Oh, I guess she must have walked away. Clearly. I, get, I I didn't remember this episode, but I was like, oh, she got trapped in the bubble. I mean, for some reason, my mind went there. Um, maybe I did like un- subconsciously remember watching this episode at some point, but I uh, I kind of got it right away. And I was a little bit like, why didn't they think of nobody's thinking of this? Uh, who are the super smart engineering folks?
2: Greg, I agree. I, as soon as the flash came, I was like, oh, Beverly's gone. And I was like, why isn't Wes a little bit more worried? But I guess it makes sense. You don't assume there's a warp bubble that trapped your mom. Right. But then I thought it was a nice transition because then we see her and I was like, Oh, she must She's have here. just walked away. And it was a nice trick for me. Cause it was like, yeah. then I wasn't like, Oh, warp bubble immediately. I was like, Oh, maybe I misread right. that. And she just got, you know, like, Oh, he's ignoring me. I'll give him some space. So, um, I was with you, but then it, it for me, I got sucked in and it was like, Oh, okay. I buy it. I buy it. I she bought it.
3: I bought it as away. well. I had that willing suspension of disbelief strong at that moment. Yes. But no, I think Super the cut strong. was smart, like you said, Jimmy. I think it was it was smart because it's like, oh, she she walked away, but she's still where we are. Because I didn't think anything was wrong until the time where we were supposed to think things were wrong. So,
0: right. right. Um, I will insert uh, uh, Eric's love of ships going in and out of starbases. This is definitely a scene <laughs> for him. Uh, I enjoyed it too, uh, being able to see the Enterprise leave Starbase One Three Three. And then Dr. Crusher's like, oh, I'll just uh, check in on my friend. We're going to invite him to breakfast. Oh, wait, he doesn't exist. And by the way, he's not even on board the ship. What? <laughs> Credits. Awesome. Cut. Dr. Crusher I- calls Worf right in and is like, what is going on? I dropped off his stuff. His stuff isn't even here anymore. And this Michael Doran acting moment is amazing because <laughs> he's like, I don't believe a word you're saying, but I will. <laughs> All right.
2: I love when he. she's like I've already checked if he's there and I forget exactly what he did but he's he does he like asked for where the doctor is and then he just looks at her yeah it's Uh, almost like a a wide eye like
0: Like, what are you doing see how easy
2: that was uh and it was (laughs) laugh out loud moment I was watching this with my headphones on and my youngest daughter Harper was there she's like what what tell me what's so funny tell
3: me you're like, just Michael being Michael, let me tell you. Yep. <laughs> well, Worf being Worf, really, let's be real. <laughs> yeah.
0: But he does. He's like, all right, well, I'll, I'll look for him. You know, like, we'll we'll send out the security detail and search the ship. Um, We'll see what happens. He was old. So that seems to be uh, Dr. Crusher's first thought is like he's somehow passed away. Right. He's lost. He could be dead right. somewhere. He could be dead somewhere, even though. <laughs> and then Worf, right before he leaves the room, is like, well, wait, If he, even if he is dead dead somewhere why would stuff, stuff be gone Ooh. and they're like i don't know and he's like okay I'm just there's go. some space shit going on guys <laughs> <We don't know.
2: laughs>
0: this is also where they planted the seed that somehow the the transfer or you know passenger request had not gotten to dock uh, to, to wharf and he was like you know the protocols and then of course in uh picard's ready room there's more uh you know details being discussed here um picard is like hey you didn't let me know about this passenger and she's like no i did i really i did and so this begins the whole questioning of her uh, version of the reality here
2: but they're very supportive there i thought that was really nice because um the only <laughs> the only time when it seemed like she was really getting a hard questioning it was from Riker, and it's just a look that he gives her um, which he turns away and he's like he, he narrows his eyes a little bit and it look it was like he was very suspicious of her. Yeah. But everyone else is like, "Okay, let's uh let's follow this. We we're, we're behind you, Bev. Let's let's see if we can solve this together." Yeah, there weirder
0: things have happened on this ship.
3: <laughs> right. And that was I do I I feel like Riker got his own like close up. I remember that moment. Yeah. And yeah, there. This is the part of the episode where the whole idea of hashtag believe women came up for me, um, because I was like, okay, like they're on board, they're they're you know believing her, and um, there's a line that Jean Luc says a little bit later. I don't want to jump the gun, but um, in some of their conversations, you know, where he's like, your word has always been good enough for me, you know, and that yep. line was just like, wow, okay. I felt very seen as a woman, very heard. And um, yeah, I think I don't want to say that was like, you know, progressive for the time, you know, but but it it you know, just going off of of someone sticking to their guns and saying a thing. And then, of course, you know, space space gets in the way. But um, (laughs) I thought that that was that was really wonderful to see that support. And gosh, he's such a good captain. He's so good. He's just totally. so
0: good. Yeah, and I love that he assumes that, like, well, this is something even more nefarious than we thought because not only is he missing, but they've gone to the trouble of expunging, expunging his record from everywhere because data reports that there's no record of a Dr. Quace ever being in Starfleet or being at at Starbase 133 for six years. And, and they go down that road, road a little bit of being like, huh, this is something that's bigger than just this one little incident on the Enterprise if they're erasing his uh, existence somehow.
2: And there is a great acting choice by Gates McFadden. Um, when she's, especially in the exchange with Data, there, and he tells her, I'm not doubting you. I'm just saying I've gone through 135 derivations of Quaze and I can't find anything. She doesn't get pissy. She makes a choice of, uh, it's like a nervous chuckle. She starts playing this in it, and she does it for a few scenes where she kind of does a little laugh about, I'm not. I'm not making it up. I, I know this is real. And it's a nice choice because it's the beginning of her not being confident about mm. what's happening. And it's so she's not tipping the hat. Uh, it's the, the like in grad school. One of the things they did was you go you have a scene partner and you leave the room and the acting teacher tells him play dead. And then the test is for the actors coming into the room. How do you react because if you make the simple choice you already know that person is dead but in real life you wouldn't and there'd be you know it's coming to the realization and that's the fun part of watching it so it was fun to watch her uh slowly start to question herself and that was the very first little uh uh, clue that she wasn't grounded 100 percent in knowing what was happening
3: yeah and it aligns with the text too because she does you know start to say things like okay if i'm crazy what is this you know so right yeah she's real she's real with herself
0: um and that gets tested when they question o'brien so this is where Riker and uh, crusher go to o'brien like it was in transporter room three we had this whole exchange and what o'brien i actually like his performance here too because he's not really questioning her either you're just like oh yeah i thought it was weird that you came in walked around and then you said thank you and you left and we're all like, wow, that's what he we saw it, like we remember that from the opening because yeah. it's it was a weird exchange. <laughs> so it it was memorable enough for us and we're like, What is going on? I, I actually like that because as the audience member, even though I kinda had the guess of 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 the uh work bubble, it was like, Well, what's how is this gonna resolve itself? And it's a great yeah, it's fun action. space shit. Yeah, it's fun I love shit. It. <laughs> it's like space shit is happening, people. That's why we watch yeah.
2: this show.
0: Yeah. Um, And then Dr. Crusher's like, well, I'm going to examine O'Brien, make sure his memory hasn't been tampered with from any subspace (laughs) interferences. And he's like, I'm fine, (laughs) but all right, we'll go down this road. Uh, And this is where they call for Dr. Salar and Dr. Hill. And this is the first kind of hint that other people are also missing. They don't exist. She tells Picard and uh, there's no memory of the associates having anything of Dr. Quace. This is when Wesley Crusher is like, maybe I got an idea. This could mm. be my fault. And he looks real guilty, y'all, in that shot. He's like, do I have to tell the captain I fucked up again?
1: Yeah. <laughs> hey, guys, it's <laughs> me. Um...
2: I started some space shit. Again. So... Okay.
1: Although it's, it's juxtaposed a little bit with how calmly once they get there. He's like, so he's probably in a bubble far away and we'll probably never see him again. Anyway, glad we figured that out. Like, there's just not much. They're, they're very, he and Jordy are very calm about that whole concept of, of the bubble having taken the doctor away, it feels like.
0: As well as Picard, he's like, yes, keep working on that. That's our best working theory going forward. Everything yes. is fine. She goes back to sickbay and now she's got no staff. Nobody's there. There should have been some beeping and, and other things <laughs> happening. I did note, because uh, they show a lot of you know, open uh, wider shots of sick bay. I noted how the uh, props department have stayed consistent with the red and yellow, blue liquid in the background. No idea what that liquid is, but it's been consistently there the entire time. I'm very glad, seasons.
3: actually. That would have rocked my world in a bad way if it wasn't <laughs> right. there. Thank God.
0: But then she goes to the bridge and says, like, hey, I got no staff. This doesn't make any sense. How am I supposed to be the person, uh, one medical officer to take care of 1,000 crew members? And this is where reality goes. And you're like, there's only, there's only 230 people on board. Yeah. What? Yeah. Say
1: what? <laughs> yeah. And at this point, my working theory was that because Beverly was there when the light flash happened, she was somehow shielded from what was happening. And that was the Ooh. reason that she was remembering mm. all of these things happening because she was in the, you know, the correct oh, bubble of time and that we had all gone somewhere, you know, these people were being worked out.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And she's, just to be clear, because I'm getting a little confused now about the timeline. So Beverly gets put into the war bubble. So she's gone from Enterprise A. Right. She's missing. Um, but at that one scene you're talking about where they're like a little cavalier about where the doctor is, are they not aware at that moment that Beverly's gone?
3: No, they're in... They're all in, uh, They're in Scenario in B. They're in her universe. So yeah. any Those people...
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that version of them. That there. version of
3: them, yeah.
2: So that... Because that's interesting that we, we see... Because that's like a dream where you're not a part of the scene, right? Like, she's creating a, this other thing where she's not even interacting with it, right? Because this is all her world that she's constructed, and it's slowly now breaking down on itself. So she wrote a scene for... Herself with these other three people, which may justify why they're a little cavalier. Like, it's not really right. them. It's mm-hmm. her making them up. But also interesting that she wrote that scene for them. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Beverly's Mind wrote it.
0: Mm-hmm. Hmm. Oh, I didn't, I didn't necessarily think about it. this was a warp bubble that was created from her subconscious. I guess they do go into that a little bit with the thought detail, which we'll get out to later.
2: Yeah, I thought that's what he says. Yeah. I would
0: just think it was like a it was like a like a just a phenomenon that she just happened to inner, uh, influence a little bit. Maybe but you know.
3: Yeah, she didn't have control though of her. She didn't know to have control of her thoughts in that way until later. So then maybe this right. was just the chaos of her her um colleagues acting in certain ways but she wasn't necessarily driving them but i don't know it's a it's a good question though because it's like it's like
0: when does a what, when does yeah. a dream become a lucid dream like when do you feel like that you can actually change it or not yeah. it's not always a binary it's sometimes i can do it a little bit and a little bit so that's a little bit what we, but we do go
2: back to enterprise a at some point right we do we have not yet we don't do that for a while and that's also really good because it didn't hit me until just today about that start separation i think when i was watching it i didn't associate that, oh, this is only Beverly's experience. It's not happening to everybody. And then we eventually go back to what's really happening on the Enterprise. I didn't actually piece that together. Oh,
3: wow.
0: And I like that, too. We get this piece of detail here because the vortex occurs in sickbay when she's about to do some some work. Uh, a huge blue and white light, atmospheric, lots of wind. She has to hold on to something. Right. This is the the... One of the uh, stunts that you were talking about, Jimmy, where she would get a would have gotten sucked in, but eventually doesn't. Thank, um, I really thank the traveler that she didn't get sucked in. But wait, that was, that was going to be a good thing. That would have been a good thing, right? I it was know. Wesley.
3: She would have gone home sooner. Right?
0: She could have clicked her heels together sooner. Which <laughs> is a quote
3: from the episode.
0: Exactly. So everybody gets into the observation lounge and says, "What the heck was that thing?" And Jordy. Is going hard on this one again, too. He's like, mm, sorry, no evidence. I don't see anything that this ever occurred. Right. And um, almost goes so far as to like kind of be accusatory in his tone, as he's saying it. Yeah. But this is a dream sequence. Or not the dream. This is her in her other world, right? Yes. But this is where we get our first major crew member, where she says, we should get Lieutenant Worf to get a security detail. And everyone's Here, like, what? who? What? Who? Who
1: uh-huh.
0: Klingons in Starfleet? They didn't say. That, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I do love that she's like tall guy, doesn't smile. Like you get her <laughs> interpretation of Worf.
3: And she does that for a couple people. I love, I love how she describes yeah. everyone. I love how
1: some people always have answers for her very good questions of like, why would the, why would this ship be this big with this many rooms? And they're like, oh well, logically. We got to pick people up. It's diplomatic missions, you know. Like, <laughs> of course, of course,
3: and that's data, right, of course. Right.
2: How do you think we make our Airbnb quota, Bev?
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we got to evacuate. We'll have that much more space. the uh, The Irish travelers that we had on before uh, wouldn't have right. To be they wouldn't in... have to stay in uh, the holding bay. Yeah, we all had them... a place to go. Nice little quarters for them. Uh, but then this is where uh, Beverly's like, "Oh crap! If Wharf is gone, is Wesley disappeared?" Mm-hmm. And she d- runs to engineering as fast as she can. Oh no! He's gone, Wesley. Wesley, mom. And he comes around the corner. I thought Thank that was God. a nice, a nice little uh, thing that sets up what happens later, of course. Yeah. But yes. It was nice to be like a little bit of tension of like, is my son gone? Is my son gone? (laughs) Doesn't last long. He mentions Kaczynski talking to the uh, subspace uh, as well as the traveler. So they're certainly uh, adding in the cues here that this is a much bigger uh, warp bubble problem. And they were talking and walking. Turn a corner. (whistles) Cut. Wesley's gone.
2: Don't. And she didn't learn. She did not learn from not looking at Wesley. Never take your eyes off the person.
3: Yeah, she that a was a quick disappearance. Yeah, they're quick.
2: Because we get to Picard later and she just and all I of a sudden I was
3: devastated gone. Uh, when I watched it
1: uh, as a 12-year-old or 13-year-old. And that's why I blocked it out of my memory. Because um, I just couldn't deal with Wesley. That makes the sense. Trauma. That makes yeah, sense.
0: No, I feel it. She rushes to the bridge, uh, and Captain Picard is there, and uh, nobody else. It's just her and Picard, and this is where he's like, well, we've never needed a crew before. It's just (laughs) you and me, Bev. We're going to explore everything together, you and me. I like his, it stretches, you know, the credulity of the situation a lot, but uh, to Patrick Stewart's credit, he never really quite goes full jokiness here where it could have been, where it was like, yeah, of course, a ship just needs a captain and a doctor.
3: Yeah, yeah, I believed him. I really (laughs) did. I believed him this whole episode. It was, I mean, what's, you can tell who I'm, who's my number one, who I'm the fan Uh of.
0: (laughs) Well, that's confusing now. What's not number one. Wait, what?
2: (laughs) (laughs) And is this not the second time? I, I believe when they were on the killer planet that spawned, uh, Uh, Star Trek acid party. (laughs) Yes. Um, And it's Bev in uh, Picard. And when she's about to say something, she's like, Jean-Luc, there's something I,
1: Oh my gosh! And we never
2: get to hear the end of that sentence.
1: You know how much I ship these two. Like I, my little heart went pitter pat. I got so excited. But before she does that though, this is, this is what Danielle was talking about. She has this really great thing where she lists off the crew members who are missing and that's just—I I love this speech of hers, yeah. and I just thought it was really well done. Oh, yes. I thought it yeah. wasn't—it wasn't overacted. It yep. was—it was this mixture of frustration and sadness and futility, and you know, it, I just think that that could have gone a really different direction, and I appreciated the direction that it went in, and and her talking about how. Um, They deserve to be more than pinched out of
3: existence. Yeah, I love that. And and she, I don't know if that point she had made the Wizard of Oz reference or not, but it kind of, that moment felt Wizard of Oz-esque to me because Mm. it was like, well, you know, my, my friend, the Scarecrow, well, my friend, the Cowardly Lion, he's like this. And my friend is like this. And and of course, she has mm-hmm. her, you know, mid-Atlantic accent where everything's like this. And so you really, <laughs> I got that like Judy Garland moment for some reason. Don't know if that was intentional. But Gates has always had that uh, sort of elevated speech that I, yeah. I love. Yeah.
0: <laughs> totally. Yeah. I love this too. And again, I love, I love seeing any character... Talk about another characters to get their perspective on them uh, is is super interesting. And I also we didn't we kind of skipped over, but she does have a brief conversation with Troy, too, about like mm-hmm. this is where she's questioning herself and like being, is it this what's happening? And I like that the two of them kind of find a center of being like, no, I mean, we're, we're working on this together. It's not about, you know, you can't just get a quick answer from your from your counselor of right. being like, no, you're not crazy. I think and I took Troy's credit. She's like, let's, you know, think about it.
1: We'll talk about support. That's where Beverly's or where Troy says something to the effect of, "What if, what if this is in your mind? What all we've lost is a little bit of time, yeah. versus if this is real, right? Like that. There was just this really nice sort of understanding of, you know, like we got you no matter what.
3: It's yeah. a
2: very supportive episode. Yeah, it was.
3: I, I loved yeah. it. It gave me the warm and fuzzies, and that Picard line.
2: Yeah. And it's all from her, right?
3: Well, to
1: me, to me, it indicates how she. I just had this thought as we were talking, you know, like that uh, that uh, Jordy is a little snappy to her in in that observation deck, and the last thing that she's seen Jordy being is kind of a jerk, right? Oh. And like Wesley is one of the only ones who kind of doubts her a little bit, and of course, like that's your teenage son who's constantly questioning you like how she views Troy, how she views Riker giving, like, I just, I think that's really interesting.
0: I absolutely agree. Yeah. Canon. That's, yay. That's
3: uh, that's a great observation.
0: So then, you know, uh, Crusher's on her own, uh, has to talk to the computer to try to figure some stuff out. But before she does, the vortex appears on the view screen and she starts getting sucked into that. She's got to hold on. And I love actually how the chair and the console shift it's like a little motion, but it's just enough to be like, okay, things are trying to be sucked into this vortex and we get them moving. Uh, I like that. Of course, she ends up holding on for dear uh, life and does not get sucked in. But then there's this effect where we start to see inside the vortex and you see a silhouette of a person. I just, I, I thought it was really well done. It's very subtle, but actually, as I was just watching it here, my, uh, my TV was paused on that and it was like a full on silhouette of 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 a person. And I think yeah. it was the Traveler, actually, that we saw mm-hmm. the outline of him. So it was a really... Oh, was it wasn't... I would have thought it was Wesley. I don't think it was because I think it's got his... Uh, the the prosthetics that are on his head okay. kind of bumped out. So it's the okay. Traveler we get an image of before the reality shifts and all of a sudden we're on the actual reality of the universe and they're trying to find Bev. And I, I it was a really beautiful and well-done transition there yeah but that's where we figure this out there is a warp bubble it's they're trying to find uh wesley's mom he's very stressed out uh they think that the war bubble has vanished it's over wesley's like i just killed my mom by putting her in a warp bubble he's very distraught and then we hear that voice that we haven't heard since uh where no one has gone before episode five of this entire series mm. it's not over wesley
1: and all of the con fans went crazy. <laughs> crazy! Nice!
2: They changed his makeup for this episode, too. Um, in they the did. first episode, he was darker and they really lightened him up to make him paler uh, in this one. And in the when we see him next time, this, they carry that forward.
0: Act break. Captain's log says that they've made two attempts and that's where audiences can put together the two vortexes that we've seen is actually us trying to break through and uh, get to her. Uh, from this parallel universe that the warp bubble has uh, uh, talked about. And then the traveler is like, Wesley, we can do this. I have something. We can get it back. Everything's going to be okay. But we have to um, maybe go to where that warp bubble was first created. Yeah. I
1: love the traveler gives Wes like a little therapy session here where he's like, buddy, you need to forgive yourself. It's going to be Okay. And also, we're gonna have to get a little weird for this, so I hope you're on board, right?
3: yeah, it's- and he's he's like, just trust yourself, close your eyes, like this whole thing i I definitely noted that as well, like he was kind of like, I don't know, another supportive moment, right? yeah, like training well, him.
1: mentoring him through his his beginning of the change that we know that <laughs> now that he will eventually go through, yeah, uh, but yeah. It is cool. It surprises me that the Traveler wasn't a part of the solution to this in the beginning. That the Traveler, mm. you know, Jimmy mentioned that the Traveler didn't come come in until like after the first two passes. Because it sets up so much for the future um, with Wesley and his innate abilities and what he has to, you know, sort of become touch base with Mm -hmm. um so that's it's a big plot point that to have come in um so late in the game
0: and i think that's really the writing staff for this season because we've seen it in almost all the episodes for this season so far where they're not making stuff up new they're referring to previous seasons of this series not even the original series but previous seasons of this series to draw upon plot points and stuff like that and create that continuity uh, where they try to resist that in season one through three, but here they're like, no, nope, we have canon that we've created ourselves for this show that we can pull upon to solve problems, and uh, I kind of, I kind of dug that for this uh, in particular. Although it uh, I mean, we'll we'll talk about it in our final thoughts, but this does feel a little bit tacked on. Um, but I like that it's the traveler saying, "You got to use your thoughts," and it's something that uh, 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 harkens back to uh, everything from that that previous episode. All right. So Dr. Crusher has probably one of the best acting partners in Majel Barrett in that she talks to the computer a lot in this episode, especially this this moment where they're going back and forth with this like mental sparring of like, well, how can I be the only person? Do I have the skills needed to uh, fulfill the mission of the Enterprise? Got you there, she says.
2: (laughs) Well, I love the sound effect of the computer thinking. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, because <it>, you <laughs> can hear the cheat, 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 and he stumped it. and it was, That was awesome. That uh, you got everything you needed without a word being said. Just from a sound.
3: And I feel like these days it's so relatable because who doesn't fight with their own Alexa or Siri? (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, oh, yeah, I've had these conversations with Siri many times, you know, like and she I loved I loved that. I love those scenes. They I know they were they were cutting back and forth at that time um, between but. Yeah, it was great. I mean, it's a great monologue on her part. So
0: Yeah, she, I, I felt her emotional journey here, uh, especially <clears throat> when she's like, all right, it's the Traveler. Let me think about this. Maybe the Traveler can help. How far away is the Traveler's homeworld? Tau Alpha C. 135 year, uh, days at warp 9.5. And she's like, all right, I guess we got to go there. Set a course. Wait, that planet doesn't exist anymore. So even through the course of their conversation... A second and later. Made, yeah, a second <laughs> right? later, the universe. She says
2: it. It doesn't do anything. Hey, where? why aren't we going? Where do you want to go? Here. Oh, yeah. that doesn't exist.
0: <laughs> What's it's, the nature of the universe? The universe is a pocket of uh, uh, space. 105 yeah. yeah. <laughs> meters li- wide. Such like, good. Why? Trek no babble. It was yeah. so good. I love, too, that she also is like, all right, transpose that with this. And, yeah, well, yeah. Right. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> we need a diagram to really show right. this. And the, and we get that diagram. It's great. Um they are back at Starbase One Three Three in the exact position and location when Wesley's experiment occurred, and they start doing their in engineering, kind of entering the equations.
1: Some real Jedi shit there. Yeah, <laughs> there was some You're Jedi stuff going on. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Feel your way.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You guide me, Warp Bubble. You guide me. Yeah.
3: You gotta
0: see beyond the numbers. The Traveler though started to be like, mm, uh oh. And Wesley's like, what's wrong? And he's like, it's beginning to collapse. And that is, of course, what we had just seen in the uh, in Beverly's world where psh, the universe is collapsing. It's not as expansive as it was. It's only 705 meters. And I, I like that they, you know, we get that kind of back and forth of, of one universe figuring it out and then the next universe figuring it out. All right. We're at the last little bit here. Yee. They put their hands on the consoles and uh, both the Traveler, and Wesley start to phase. And Picard is, the, uh, my favorite part is like Picard being like, what the what the hell?
1: Right, he's the only one there and he's like, no one's ever going to believe me.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, and this is where Beverly figures out that she's actually the one who's trapped in here. It's not, it's the universe is wrong. I'm trapped in this bubble. Maybe I should feel it. And then she asks, like, what would someone trying to reach me what would that look like an atmospheric disturbance oh wait it's the vortex how do we make that happen and the ship is breaking all this is happening all this is that you know this is that the schematic i mentioned how like the universe is not as big as the enterprise because of design (laughs) flaws in the enterprise that's what the computer thinks it is she races through the corridors trying to figure out where she would go wait it's an engineering Because that's where I was when I saw that flash. And Wesley is an engineer. He's an engineer. And we get those. uh, The nothing is chasing her. Uh, (laughs) Oh yeah, that was fun. So close. The
3: nothing was so close. The fog.
0: Here's my little thing. I mean, I know dramatically why they didn't do this, but can't you just beam from the bridge to engineering directly? Wouldn't she? Not yet. No.
2: Not till disco.
0: But, oh, I guess there's nobody in the transporter room. Well, the transporter room
3: might not even be there, depending (laughs) on the layout. You got to run. And it's
2: not, I don't know that there's canon to it, but, like, There are episodes in TNG where they do beam from the bridge to places, from specific locations on the ship to other places. Yeah, But for whatever reason, the writers weren't like, hey, what if we can just have them beam from wherever we want? I don't know if it was like, hey, we built the transporter. And by the way, this episode is the very first look um, on TNG of the new transporter room. Redesigned that oh. will carry through for the rest of the series. So mm-hmm. it might have been like, Look, we spent a hundred grand on this. <laughs> you beam out from the transporter room, and you'll like it. And yeah. You'll like it. <laughs> like it, young lady. Yeah, you probably have to talk screen. to O'Brien because it wasn't until disco we're like, you know what, it's the same effect. Let's just
0: have them beam forever. They are right. <laughs> Why do we have to keep going to this one room? That's funny. So she gets to engineering, the vortex is happening there, and she Kind of like does her leap through it almost. And then, bam, she's on the ground in engineering. Wesley collapses. He's so tired. He's so tired, y'all. And Picard just walks right past yeah, <laughs> I know. That. Yeah. He walks right over his body.
3: <laughs> <laughs> to catch Good job, him. kid.
0: He's like, I have a crush on you. <laughs> oh,
3: man.
0: And uh, they have a nice tender moment, uh, Picard and crushy, Crusher. Crushy.
3: Crushy. Ooh.
0: Crushy. She's thinking like I was gonna tell you something, but I'll tell you later. About I swear. About a crush. About a crush. Oh. Stop by my room. Um, and uh, Beverly sees the traveler. She's like, "Oh, it's you. I was just thinking about you." <laughs> and then hes uh, the traveler, does uh does Wesley a solid. Is like, "It wasn't me, y'all. It was Wesley,
2: the guy laying on the ground."
0: You're, well, he also trapped you, but he also saved you.
3: And uh. Did, correct me if I'm wrong, I brushed up on this episode, it was a few days ago, Uh, does Quace come back? Where yes.
0: Well, we don't see him again, but Quaise. they do say that he is returned. They
3: say that he's right. there. Okay. Did yeah. they not 114? have... 114. The, yeah. yeah. They didn't have the budget that to like have him just pop back on screen for my closure. I kind of needed <laughs> to see him.
0: Right? It does end a little bit oddly. There's no... Like, I do feel like there should be one more scene uh, here because yeah. the denouement is odd. Um, w- Wesley doesn't have any lines at the end here. So I want to ask Weird. the three of you actor-wise... Poor Will Ween is supposed to be emoting so much of this relief here, and he can't say anything. He right. doesn't have any lines and, and his mom's talking over him and he just has to be there being hugged and being like, Oh, I missed you, mom. Mm-hmm. Without saying it. It was odd, right?
3: You always well, wonder Maybe
0: he had lines and he was cut because he was so terrible. That's why
3: I said you always wonder what's on the cutting room floor. Uh Kate, he didn't yeah. mean that. Okay. <laughs> he did. He did. That's, mean, the thing. that's the thing. Listen.
1: I was going to say, like, I, I just read it as all of his electrolytes had been zapped out of him and he just really needed to rehydrate. So he was going to yeah. find those words later.
3: It would have been lovely for closure for that. They did get that lunch, you know, Quace and Bev hanging out. Maybe Wharf stops by for an omelet. I would have enjoyed that. Oh, but right. But we didn't get oh, that. Good. But I created my own little little moment.
0: Yeah, that's canon that they all had uh, a brunch together. Wesley involved, too. There was lots of laughter. I can I can see the yeah. shots.
3: Freeze. He got he got his electrolytes.
0: <laughs> he got some Gatorade. He, yeah, He's good. It worked. <laughs> that's it. OK, so that is how it ends. It just ends with Dr. Beverly Crusher just being like, oh, OK, everything's great. I'm so happy. Let's let's move on. Uh, so. What are your final thoughts on this episode? Kate, I will throw it to you first.
1: Uh, You know, I really enjoyed this episode because it kept me on my toes. It kept me guessing because I did have that initial, like, where'd Beverly go after The Flash? But as we've talked about, that edit was so smart that we saw her in her own environment that it took me a little bit of time and my own theories to see what was happening. I also love Gates. uh, And so having a really... Uh, you know gates uh crusher centric episode was really cool um plus all the support and the love uh so i'm gonna give this um i'm gonna give it eight and a half um hanging from the seat of a chair uh <laughs> perpendiculars while pregnant well, whilst uh, secretly pregnant
0: <laughs> Yes. all right that's good uh jimmy what do you think
2: uh, I, I love it as well. Um, I love sci-fi, and one of the things about sci-fi is it gives you liberties to go... Places that a lot of other genres can't. And Warp Bubbles is absolutely a place that sci-fi can take you things. Or it's just this universe is gigantic. It's bigger than we can possibly imagine. And the things that happen in it are equally as big. And Warp Bubbles is one of them, people. <laughs> they're real. They're scary. And most <laughs> accidents happen within five feet of a Warp Bubble. <laughs>
3: uh, wow. Thank you for thank you for letting whoo, me so know. So be careful. Disclaimer
2: be careful uh i give it i'm gonna give it eight and a half crowded corridors because it's <laughs> it, if you love sci-fi this is great and also if you get an episode of gates mcfadden you're doing you're already starting at over seven because that's just the joy in itself um and and to see it that married with a
0: bunch of Trekno babble amazing Good stuff. All right. Eight and a half. I will insert Mr. Eric Curry's thoughts here. What did you think, Eric? Oh. Well, unexpected. That was. I thought he was going to say X, Y, Z, but he said A, B, C instead. Totally disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Hope, we hope uh, Eric is able to return uh, from his own warp bubble very soon. Danielle, what did you think of this episode? Oh,
3: any time that there's space shit and hijinks, <laughs> I'm in. And so, but but what I think what I think was great, c- calling back to the beginning of, of our chat, was that it wasn't a dream and it wasn't lazy writing, and it it was a problem in the real world of the enterprise to be solved. And they all did it using their brains. And it was great to see a woman at the helm, a woman who was believed by others. And in Ooh. her experience, yeah, you can't go wrong with Bev at the center of an episode. So I'll give this. Um, I guess I'll go with the crowd. I think I think a solid eight and a half, maybe even eight point seven five. Um, and I'll go wow. eight point seven five. Uh, T. Earl Grey hot, nice. if that works, because he did that also showed up in the episode. That totally yeah. works. Yes, yes, it did.
0: With some fancy uh, editing so they didn't have to use the replicator uh, budget, but they could just do it around the corner.
3: (laughs) The best. The best.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm not going to go as high as you guys. I think I'm going to go seven Kaczynski references because um, I thought it was a little bit tacked on for me having the Traveler kind of show up and be... A DSS machina on this. I would have. I think I might have preferred it if Wesley had kind of come onto this on his own, uh, or at least you know kind of channeled the Traveler or done something more active, because he created this problem with his mom, and I don't feel like he actually really got to solve it. He we, they needed to have that outside person to do it. Um, uh, but I enjoyed all the performances, of course, Gates McFadden as like uh, the star of this one was really entertaining. I liked all of her scenes with the computer, uh, as well as trying to like get at the logical fallacies of what was occurring with the universe. It was a bit of a mindfuck of a Inception bomb episode. So I really thought there was going to be a top spinning at the end. Um, <laughs> And, uh, but all that, and I just, you know, I, I, I just I just didn't like the construction of the episode that much. I thought, it, I thought it, you could see, now that I know how it was drafted, I can kind of see the seams uh, there a little bit, but a solid, wonderful episode, seven Kaczynski's for me. And thank you, Danielle, for joining uh, on this voyage of re-engage. How can people find out about uh, you and what you're doing?
3: Oh my goodness! Thank you. Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, follow me on Instagram at Beck, d e e b e c k. Also, my website is all over the sh- place. <laughs> the sh- just sp- I was trying to say place and space. Uh, Danielle Beckman dot com. Um, yeah, I'm an actor, filmmaker, producer. Always looking to meet amazing people and collaborate. Uh, I met Greg on Twitter. Years ago. And look where we are now making movies together on podcasts together. It's a lot of fun. So say hello. Thanks for having me. This has been really, really, really fun. Childhood dream, actually.
0: (laughs) To be able to talk about uh, this amazing episode has been a dream for me as well. Um, And I, I don't think you missed it. (laughs)
3: <laughs> I didn't
1: you didn't
0: miss oh my god it. <laughs> now it's over
3: it's not over now it's, it's, over. it's over now
0: it's <laughs> okay. over because uh, my pants are wet and I think everyone's pants are wet
3: great great
0: <laughs> thank you so much for riding along with us on this episode of Reengage. next week we continue our mission with the next episode of the fourth season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Reengage on Twitter at reengage_tng to get updates when episodes are published and some other stuff. You can also follow our various Cultural Bridge crew on social media. Kate Yeager is at Yeagerlicious. Eric Grattan is at Eric Falls Down. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on Instagram. Re-Engage is edited by Greg Tito. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo97 on Twitter. Theme Music is by Ryan Marth. Thank you so much for listening. Stand by now for the Traveler to Re-Engage.